We are in a series here as a church family where we're going through the book of Ephesians together. And this past week, as I was preparing, I, w- I listed all the, the great truths that we have looked at so far in our short time in the series. And when I say truths, I'm talking about truth with a capital T. And there was just a whole big list of them. And I, I thought I'd put them up on the jumbotrons and, and go through them. I, I just didn't have time. And, but man, we have already just looked at, uh, studied just some crazy, crazy weighty things. Last week, we looked at the truth that God has brought us back from, from being dead to being alive. The Bible is crystal clear. God says there was a moment when you were all dead. Not dead physically. I know your hearts are beating. But we were dead spiritually. Our sin had made us dead we were dead, God says. We, we weren't having a bad day. We weren't depressed. We, 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 were, we were dead. And, and dead people are dead. They can't resuscitate themselves. And God says, there was a moment in your life when you were dead spiritually. But he made us alive. And that was the truth that we basically zeroed in on uh, last weekend. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, if anybody belongs to Christ, they're a new creation. The old things have gone and everything is made new. In other words, at the moment that you give your life to Christ, at the moment you surrender your life over to Jesus, at the moment you allow him to be the permanent CEO of your life. At that very moment, you become a new creation. Obviously, you were dead, and now you're alive. You're new, God says. You've become something new. Now, here's the deal. We have our feelings that we got to deal with. Because there are many times when you're going to feel like the old you. You're, in other words, you're not going to feel like you're something new. Uh, I can tell you often, I don't feel like I'm a new creation. But I, I, I tell you all the time, family, your, your uh, feelings have no IQ. You can't educate your feelings. They are what they are, and for the most part, they're pretty irrational. Now, I'm glad I have them. They're given to me by God. But you never make decisions based upon how you feel. It's the truth that sets you free, capital T, not your feelings. Be thankful for your feelings. Enjoy your feelings. But just understand, they are what they are. And you may feel like, man, there's nothing new about me. But God has made you different than the animal kingdom, if you will, and he wants you to go from here, how you feel, work hard, get up here, and know the truth, and quit operating out of how you feel. And go to a higher place. Go to, go to the, the, the truth. And the truth is, you may not feel like you're a new creation, but you are. 
Man, you used to be dead. You used to be like a zombie just walking around. And now, because of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, you're now alive. You're a new creation. In John chapter 3, we get to listen in on a great conversation between Jesus and a religious guy named Nicodemus. And here's what the Word of God says about that conversation. There was a man named Nicodemus. He was a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Jesus replied, I I tell you the truth, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Well, what do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus. How can an old man go back into his mother's womb to be born again? And Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. And let me unpack that just a little bit for you. When a man and a woman get married and they make love, they have the capability of creating a human life. You're all here today because a guy and a gal got together, made love, and a sperm and an egg got together, there was conception, and nine months later, there you were. A human life came into existence. That's all you can do. And according to the word of God, You're alive, you created a live physical person whose heart is beating, but they are dead spiritually to God. The only way that human being that you were able to create can become alive spiritually is they have to be born again. You created a human physical life, good for you. Only God can produce a spiritual life. You have to be born again. And you're born again when you give your life to Christ. You're born again when you surrender your life over to Jesus. You're born again when when you say, God, I'm no longer gonna be the CEO of my own life, but I'm gonna let you and your word be the CEO. You're now in charge of my life. At that moment, the Holy Spirit comes into your life. You're born again. You're made alive You're made into something new. The old is gone, and here's the new. Now, you can go look in a mirror and go, man, the old's still here. Well, physically, the old is still here. He's not talking about that. He's talking about something way more weighty. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul prays this. He says, I pray for you constantly. Asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. And this is a great prayer because you can have knowledge and data but not understand the the spiritual significance of it. It takes more than just, I will, I read something and here's what it says. No, it takes um, understanding. And Paul says, here's what I'm doing. I'm praying for you 
that somehow God opens up your spiritual eyes and hearts to some of these great truths. You know them somehow here, but, but you, you don't really get it. You don't really grasp it. And it's only God that will help you understand the fact that you are new. Because when you understand the fact that you are new, that you are a new creation, it'll revolutionize your life. It'll change your life. It'll change your life radically uh, for, forever. Ephesians chapter four, we'll get there, Lord willing, in a few weeks. Paul says, therefore, I, a prisoner for, the, a prisoner for serving the Lord, I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. Because you were dead and God made you alive, because of what God has done in your life, because you're this new person, Paul says, I'm begging you, quit living like the old you. Don't do that. You're new. Live a life worthy of your calling. Live a life worthy of this new life that we all are experiencing, those of us that know the, the Lord anyway. So with that as a setup, we're going to Look at just three verses today as we continue down our, our journey here of Ephesians. I want you to look at Ephesians 2, and we're going to look at verses 8, uh, 9, and 10, okay? I think these are verses probably every Christian ought to have memorized, but here's what the Word of God says, okay? God saved you by His grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. There's that thought again. We're new. We're born again. So we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Now I want you to know that these verses right here are just loaded with truth, just loaded and there's no way that in my short amount of time I'm going to be able to unpack it all. But there are a, there's a few things I want to share with you. Because these three verses tell us a lot about us. They tell us about how this new life happens, how we're made alive. They, they tell us how we went from being dead spiritually to being alive spiritually. And the first thing that I want to point out is this, number one is that a person is saved from the consequences of their sin. In other words, they're made alive by God's grace and God's grace alone. And that's the first thing that I want all of you to really understand and grasp. Look at verse eight again of our text. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this it's a gift from God. In other words, my sins were forgiven, not because of anything I did. My sins were simply forgiven because of God's grace. Or, or the reason why I'm going to heaven, and I know I'm going there, isn't because of anything I've done. It's simply because of God's grace. I was dead and I was made alive, not because of anything I did. It was simply because of God's grace. Psalms 86 says, but you 
O Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God. We're told all throughout the scriptures that God is is a God of grace. And we see the concept literally throughout the Bible. You can go back to the very first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. And in Genesis 1 and 2, God creates everything. And then he he creates the the first human being, Adam. And in Genesis chapter 3, something crummy happens. God creates Adam and he says, Adam, it's all yours as far as the eye can see. I've created it all, enjoy it all. I'm gonna take care of you, Adam. You'll never have to worry about a thing. I'm gonna be your God and and you're gonna worship me and, and, and we're gonna live together forever. But I am gonna ask you to do one thing, Adam. You see that tree right over there? I want you to stay away from that tree. I don't want you to eat any of the fruit off of that tree. And we all know the story in Genesis chapter three, for whatever reason, Adam uses his free will to blow God off. He basically says, God, you know what? I'm not gonna do life the way you want me to do it. I'm not gonna obey what you say. If I wanna eat from that tree, I'll eat from that tree. You don't tell me how to live my life. And Adam made the choice to eat from that tree. And at that moment, God could have went, boom, I'm done with you. I've had it. I created all of this for you. And you turn around and stab me in the back like that? I don't need you. But he didn't. He extended his grace. And God, for the very first time, goes out and he slaughters an animal. Blood was going to be shed because of Adam's sin. And God shows up and hands Adam and Eve, you know, all the loincloths that they could put in all the right places. And God says, I'm gonna send you a Messiah. I'm gonna send you a Savior. And so literally, from the very first human being that was ever created, we see the grace of God, the love of God, if you will, the the mercy of God. Now, what is grace? You know, exactly, well, I got a couple things. I found these, I thought these were great. One definition I heard was this, grace is God's love in action. And I like that. This one was super convicting. Grace is the face that God wears when he looks at my failures. And I thought about that. I I sure wish that that was the face that I would have put on when my children didn't always obey me. Sometimes I did. Sometimes I didn't. I wish I might have treated my children as they were growing up, maybe a little differently. Maybe like God chose to treat Adam when Adam disobeyed. 
How about this one? I, I kind of like this. Mercy is when God doesn't give me what I do deserve, which is punishment. Grace is when God gives me what I don't deserve. That's a blessing. That's pretty good, isn't it? Let me give you a real life illustration of, of grace, okay? There was a time in my life when I didn't believe in God. I grew up right here in Modesto, went to Fremont Elementary School and, and uh, you know, uh, Roosevelt Junior High, Grace Davis, went to the junior college, and all of that time, I, I didn't believe in God. There was a, a time in my life when I used God's name in vain, like literally all the time. There, there, wasn't, there wasn't an hour that didn't go by that I wasn't cussing or swearing, putting four or five cuss words together along with the, you know, saying something crummy about God. And, and you know, it was just unbelievable, the, the vileness that would come out of my mouth. There was a time in my life when I mocked and ridiculed God's people. At Davis High School, I was just brutal to a lot of the believers that were there. Some are members of the church now. And they could tell you stories. I just was a jerk. I would just say mean things. It was just, I was just crummy. There was a time in my life, I grew up on 1112 Columbia Way over in the college area. And uh, growing up as a teenager, I, I had been inside all of the houses around me, literally all of the houses around me. I wasn't invited in, but I was in there, stealing their beer and stealing their alcohol and stealing valuables. Thank the Lord for statue of limitations, I guess. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know, maybe, maybe they're not over with yet. <laughs> you know, nobody help me. I was just a crummy, lost soul. There was a time in my life when I rebelled against the things of God. I didn't care about, I didn't care what this book had to say. All I cared about was me and fulfilling all the desires of my flesh, whatever it is I wanted to do. There was a time in my life when, when I was just dead. I was just dead because of all of my sin. And what God should have done was, boo! I don't add anything to God's life. God's not up in heaven right now going, man, I can hardly wait till countryman gets here because, man, he's going to add a lot to heaven. Or I don't know, him and the Holy Spirit and Jesus are talking, man, it's a bummer hanging out with just the three of us. Sure wish Rick was here because he'd add something to this relationship of ours. That's not going on. You don't add anything to God's existence. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need you. You're nothing but something that he created. That's it. Now you were created in his image. And what God should have done was that to me. The last thing I deserved was for God to do anything for me. 
The last thing I deserved was God's favor. The last thing I deserved was God's love. The last thing I deserved was God's mercy or compassion. The last thing I deserved was God's grace. And yet, that's exactly what he did. He extended his love and mercy and grace to me. Just like he did you. And when you fully get that, change your life. When you really understand the fact that you were dead and you deserve to spend your eternity apart from God, but he extended his grace to you. He did it. You weren't down here doing a bunch of good things and God went, oh, man, Eric, I just did, woo, what a great guy you are. I think I'm gonna, I need. No, that's not how this works. God extended his grace to me. I didn't deserve it. Not, I didn't deserve it one bit. The Bible says this in Titus chapter three. Once we too were foolish and disobedient, yeah. We were misled and became slaves to many lusts and pleasures. Yeah. Our lives were full of evil and envy and we hated each other. But when God our Savior revealed his kindness and love, he saved us. Not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and a new life through the Holy Spirit. It was all him. It's all him. Beloved, grace is at the very heart of your relationship with God. It's at the very heart of your faith. It's at the very heart of your belief with God. I I believe that the greater your understanding of grace, the greater and deeper and richer your relationship with God's gonna be. I, I know that to be true. The greater your understanding of God's grace, the more you're going to be drawn to God, the more you're going to love God, the more you're going to be grateful to God, the richer your time of worship will be. Literally, your life will be transformed. And when your personal life is transformed, we become a brand new we, you see? Understand the title of the series? I believe that the greater your understanding of God's grace, the more you'll want to live a life that honors him. When you understand who you were in comparison to him and what he did for you, and you didn't deserve it. So the first thing we learn here is that we're saved by God's grace and God's grace alone. And number two, though salvation is a free gift from God and God alone, a person has to believe that God's son, Jesus Christ, is their only hope of salvation from their sin. I want us to look, go back to our text. Look at verse eight again. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. This is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done so that none of us can boast about it. 
You see, believing what God has said unlocks the whole thing. Your faith, your belief in what God has said. If, um, if I had a $1,000 gift card up here to Lowe's and I went to my friend Jeff and I said, hey, Jeff, got a $1,000 gift card. It's all yours. It's free. All you got to do is come and get it. At that moment, Jeff has a decision to make. I've offered the gift. He can either go, you know what? Is Rick tricking me? Am I going to get up there and take this card and go buy a bunch of tools and lumber and they're going to swipe the card and really he's not on there? Or, man, I'm going to go get the card. And once he comes up and gets the card, it's his card. I gave it to him for free. It's free. God has said, I got a, I got a gift card. It's grace, it's mercy, it's love, it's forgiveness. Here it is. It's free. You don't deserve it. You don't, you don't earn this thing. If I said to Jeff, Jeff, I got this card, man. It's absolutely free. And as Jeff was walking up here, I said, hey, well, hold on here, Jeff. There is one thing. I, I needed to stack all the chairs and put them off to the side. And I need you to vacuum the floor real quick. And then can you put the tables up for men's ministry? Whoa, 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 whoa. That's not free. He's not working for this card I want to give him. God says, I got a card. It's absolutely free. All I got to do is take it. It's free. Now you're right there where Adam was, huh? It's all yours, Adam. Just obey me. Just don't, don't eat from that one. You want it? I know most of you. You, you, you've taken the free gift card. By faith, you've received this gift that you didn't deserve. You didn't, you didn't earn it. You didn't work for it. Could you imagine what heaven would be like if you could get there by working really hard? Man, I'd get to heaven. Hey, Jeff, whoa, you're in heaven too. Yeah, man. Woo! Hey, Jeff, what'd you do to get here? Oh, man, let me tell you what I did. Man, I worked really hard. I was an Eagle Scout. And then I, 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 man, I walked. I can't even tell you how many old people across the street. And, man, I went on five missions trips. And then Jeff says to me, what'd you do? Oh, let me tell you what I did, man. I preached the word every weekend. Man, I did this and I did that. Woo! And then we'd go around. Hey, how'd you get in? And we'd all be high-fiving each other on how we got into heaven. And then we'd all look over and see Jesus with his holes in his hands and his feet. And we go, man, what a loser that guy is. Why'd he die? Why'd he go to a cross? Why'd he have to shed his blood? What a dumb thing the Father did send in him. You're never gonna get to heaven and brag about how you got there. Never. Because you didn't get there working really hard. You had nothing to do with it. It was a free gift. You were dead. And God said, I'll make you alive. 
I'll make you into something new. But you got to receive it. Got to take it. Romans chapter 4 says, so the promise, salvation, is received by faith. It is given as a free gift. Just a gift. No one's ever going to be able to get to heaven and brag. No one. 1 Peter chapter 2 says, he personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. It's by his wounds that you've been healed. Not because of anything good you've done. There was this interesting moment that takes place between Jesus and Thomas and some of the disciples that is really super interesting. Jesus has already died. He was in a in a tomb, and three days later he walks out of the tomb, so he's in his glorified body. And it says this in John chapter 20. Thomas, who was one of the 12, was not with them when Jesus came. The other followers kept telling Thomas, we saw the Lord. But Thomas said, I will not believe until I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hands in his side. In other words, Jesus showed up after the resurrection. He, he comes to the, the disciples. Thomas wasn't there. And man, whew, and now they find Thomas. Thomas, we saw the Lord. He was dead. They put him in a tomb. He's alive, Thomas. And Thomas goes, I don't believe it. I gotta see it. I gotta, I gotta touch those, you know, holes in his hands. I, I gotta, I gotta put my hand in here. I gotta, I gotta see it. I don't believe it. Okay, get, get the picture. A week later, the followers were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but Jesus came in and stood right in the middle of them. He said, "Peace be with you." Then he said to Thomas, "Put your finger here." And look at my hands. Put your hand here in my side. Stop being an unbeliever and believe. Here's what just is bothersome about that. Jesus is now in his glorified body. Why does he still have holes in his hands? Why does he still have the hole in his side? Why, why does he still have the holes in his ankles, his feet? Let me tell you what I think. I think when you get there, when I get there, we're going to see those holes in his hands. We're going to see that hole in his side. We're going to see those holes in his feet. And it's going to be a reminder to us of how we got there. He doesn't want us to ever forget. You didn't get here because you're somehow a good guy or you went on a trip to Jordan or you gave lots of money to the church or you had super high SAT scores. You got here because of me and my sacrifice. 
I think that's one of the reasons why he'll still have all the injuries. He never wants anybody to forget how they got there. That it had nothing to do with you. You're not going to be boasting about why you're in heaven. Now the last one, and I'm going to land the plane. It gets a little weird here. This is where the story gets weird, okay? Uh, n- n- number three, when a person believes and is saved from the consequences of their sin, they're, they're made alive, they become God's poem on display for the entire world to see. Why you look at verse 10? <coughs> the Bible says, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew. We're born again. We've become something new in Christ Jesus. What's the point of all that? So that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. In other words, doing good things has has a place in the life of a Christian. It just doesn't save you. But living a God-honoring life, a, a, a holy life, a sacred life is important. I want you to look at that word masterpiece. You see it? Some of your Bibles say, for we are God's workmanship. In the Greek, the original language, you know what that word was? Pomea. That's where we get our English word poem. For we are God's poem. Now that's interesting. What's What's God trying to say? Well, a poem is obviously something that's created. And if we're his poem, he's the... The Pope, poet, right? A poem is, an, is a really uh, interesting way, a beautiful way to express something. And God says, listen, you were made alive because of a gift I gave you. And now that you by faith have received the gift, here's the deal. I want you to be a poem to the people that you work with. I want you to be a poem of me to the people you play golf with. I want you to be a beautiful expression of my love and my grace and my mercy to the people that are in your neighborhood, the people that you do life with. I have a role for you to play now. How are people gonna know anything about me if you're not a poem of my life to them? How will they know anything about me? Well, pastor, how will I know whether my poem, the poem of my life, the poem of God in my life is, if I'm nailing it, how will I know? Well, the Bible says, for God knew his people in advance. He he knew you. He he knew you were dead, and he knew you were going to accept the gift card. He knew that. He chose you to become like his son. You'll know that you're a poem for the father when you become more and more and more like his son. The more you live out your life like his son, the more you understand the things that God likes and loves, things that make, you know, 
God smile, great, live it out. The more you learn about the things that make God angry and mad, and you, they make you mad and angry, praise the Lord. The greater you're like Jesus, the greater your poem will be of God to the world. My question, I guess, as I wrap this up is, what does the poem of your life express? When people interface with you, what do they see? What is your life? What is your, these good works that God created for you to do? What do they express about God? Jesus said this in Matthew chapter five. He said, you are the light of the world like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out. Let your poem shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. You see, the reason why you're to live a God-honoring life, the reason why you're to do good things, the reason why the poem of your life is, is to be an honoring thing is so that he receives the glory. This isn't about you receiving glory. This is about him receiving glory. I'm thankful for those people who were unbelievable poems of God's grace and love and mercy in my life before I came to Christ. I'm here today because there were some people who said, I am going to be God's poem to Rick Countryman. Now, they didn't express it that way, but that's what they were being. And you ought to be thankful for those people in your life, your mom, your dad, your grandpa, your grandma, Billy Graham, I don't know who it was, and they made a decision that they were gonna be God's poem. They were gonna be an expression of God's love and grace and mercy and compassion in your life. You see... Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. And now he says, hey, look, I've extended my grace to you. It was a free gift. You didn't deserve it. And you received it by faith. Now you go out, be my mouthpieces, and I'll extend grace to those that you talk with. It's all God. God's the one doing all the work. And I'll tell you, it's a really, really weighty question to say, what does the poem of your life express? Paul says, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? And that word temple means this is where God lives. Don't you know that God lives inside of you? He has to live inside of you, otherwise you're not born again. He has to live inside of you, otherwise you're not a new creation. You're just the old dead you. 
who's in you, whom you've received from God. You're not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. In other words, be the masterpiece, the workmanship, the poem of God with your body, how you live, the people you interface with at work and then in your neighborhood, the people who play golf with, tennis with. I don't know who, I don't know who God puts you, brings across your paths. I don't know who they are. But God says, look, I extended grace to you. You didn't deserve it. And by faith, you received it. I made you new. I made you alive. You're a new person. Now, now you're my workmanship now. You're my poem. Go out. Let people know about me. And so with that, I'm going to have you stand, and uh, I'm going to pray for you, and then we'll go and do whatever the Lord has planned for us here this afternoon. Father, thank you, God, for your goodness to us. It's been a really fantastic weekend. I know there's lots of people gone and just the time change and then, I don't know, they're worried about stuff. But I'm thankful for those that are here that are watching online. May your word somehow make a difference in our lives, not just today or tomorrow or this week, but may it make a difference in our lives until we stand face to face with you someday. And I pray this in your name and all of God's people said, amen. Hey, Lord bless you.